0: welcome to the mongodb podcast i'm shane mcallister and as ever whether you're a regular subscriber or a brand new listener we're glad to have you tune in and join us in this episode we're joined by david neal or reverend geek as he's probably more familiar to many david originally joined us on a mongodb tv live stream back in late june and although that was all video live streamed on youtube and linkedin gentle plug Check out mongodb.tv to find out more. His content was so compelling and his story so insightful that we thought it would be great to bring this to a wider audience. So we adapted our discussion for this podcast and are delighted to share it with you today. In our conversation, David talks about what started him on his journey and he shares his insights and tips on becoming a superhuman communicator. Speaking of compelling and impactful content, our MongoDB.local series of events has already started and is coming to over 30 cities globally this year. So visit mongodb.com forward slash events to learn more about where and when our .local events are happening, and perhaps you can join us in person at a MongoDB.local event near you. And with that, let's get on with the show. Welcome, David, to the MongoDB podcast.
1: Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, Shane.
0: Excellent. By way of background, and I'm stealing from your own bio here now on your website, David, you (laughs) describe yourself as a family man, a geek, a musician, illustrator, international speaker, and software developer, which is great. But the one thing I do love about your bio on your website is that, and David says this himself, he says, I run on a high-octane mixture of caffeine and JavaScript and entirely made of bacon. You're not going to forget that introduction. It's all true. (laughs) (laughs) So, David, you're somewhat of a friend of MongoDB and a friend of the MongoDB podcast. You joined us back in, it seems like ages ago now, but it was July 2021 in the height of COVID when we ran, Mike Lynn, a colleague of ours, ran the MongoDB Community Day, and you joined us for the whole day, basically, and did amazing illustrations on all of the topics that were covered and the guests that were there, and it was stunning to see. I know I benefited from having my own illustration done by oh, you, yeah. <laughs> which was superb, thank you. You made me look far younger than I actually am, so I very much appreciate that, <laughs> very good. So that's where we first met and i've seen you at some of the other events in the meantime as well too and i'm incredibly honored to have you on board for this MongoDB podcast live because i think the story you have and the insights that you have in becoming a communicator are incredibly resonant with anybody no matter what they're doing this podcast goes out to a lot of developers but also a huge wider variety of audience so yeah. Without further ado, we can get started by way of your background and your journey to where you are today and the insights that you've learned, bringing illustrations to your talks and your events.
1: Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story. This is a topic that I am super passionate about. It has transformed everything that I do from a communications perspective, part of my in my career. And I want to encourage as many folks as possible to try some of these ideas for themselves to make communications, whether it be presentations or blog posts or documentation, more fun, more engaging so that we, we all can enjoy the things that we share more and, and have more impact on folks.
0: Yeah, I think so, particularly at events and presenting at events, particularly the larger conferences with many strands and many tracks that there's so much going on that people remember how you make them feel, not necessarily what you say and how you impact them and how they come away from their talks.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes. Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what all these things, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that has resonated with me and was part of the reason why I do some of the things that I do.
0: That's excellent.
1: And yep. so I think the key
0: thing for me is to understand where you were at the start. This didn't always come naturally to you. And that's part of the journey to where you've come today.
1: Correct? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned before, this is a topic that I am super passionate about and interested in. And my, my journey for, you know, how I came about this skill is mm-hmm. in 2011, I finally got up the courage to give a talk to a local meetup. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. Okay. Uh, I lo- love Nashville and I was getting involved in some of the local meetups and user groups and somebody talked me into giving a presentation on dot net rest apis some okay just some things that i was doing in my regular job
0: that's always the way it starts somebody talks (laughs) you into doing something and all of a sudden you're you've been volunteered (laughs) or as an ex-boss of mine used to say voluntold you had no choice
1: (laughs) but i came away from that experience like wow i didn't die and (laughs) i i enjoyed hearing the feedback and Wouldn't it be amazing all these years that I've seen other speakers have an impact on me? What if I could have that kind of impact on other people? And so I started continuing the process of putting myself out there and speaking at events. So between 2011 and 2014 or so, I gave probably at least 100 talks or more. At meetups and conferences. And I got my first DevRel job in 2013. So it became part of my role to go to events, either working a booth or giving presentations. Excellent. And And did uh,
0: that DevRel job come about because of your visibility at presentations and giving presentations and events?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I helped that I knew the founders of this startup company, but when I joined the company, they wrote me a blank check and said, we know the work that you're doing in the community, what is it that you want to do here? And I'm like, I want to stay involved in the developer community and not only support our platform and create APIs and do software engineering. I also want to be active in recruiting and spread just spreading the brand of, yep. of the company. And so that that allowed me to do all the things that I wanted to do. I
0: think that echoes a lot of the stories we hear from people in the Devrel world. They were doing Devrel before it was a thing, but uh-huh. they were already involved. You cannot start a Devrel role day one without ever having been involved in the community or doing yeah. events and doing projects. You have to really bed yourself in. So, all of your work led to this first Devrel role. Yeah,
1: yeah. I look when I look for other Devrel folks who may have not been in a DevRel role, I look for those indicators of, are they passionate about the community or are there things about the way that they give back to the community that would fit the category of DevRel, whether or not they've been doing a DevRel role. Excellent. So I got better and better as a speaker, but I just felt like I wasn't having the impact that I wanted to have. My typical audience was not always engaged. I got good feedback. People told me I was a good speaker, but I just wasn't I just knew that people weren't walking away from my talk being super inspired or really all that excited about the topic that I was talking about. And I think a lot of folks in developer relations and in other areas can relate to this that you pour your heart out into something, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it be a talk or a product or something, and you just feel like, man, just pe- people just aren't aren't excited about it as I thought they might be.
0: Yeah, we've all been there because you live and breathe this, and then you're excited to get out and to show it off to the world. And it is quite hard as a speaker on stage because you're sometimes you're staring out into the audience, and it's super hard these days with everybody looking at their mobile phones and, oh, yeah. and more than multitasking, yeah. right?
1: Yep. So by the end of 2014, I was feeling pretty burned out. I was thinking, man, is this the best I can hope for? Mm -hmm. And I thought about just hanging it up for a while, like maybe taking a year off. And I was having this kind of existential crisis about all this stuff that I've been doing for the last few years. Was it really worth it? Was I really making a difference that I really wanted to make? So I started doing some research and at the beginning of 2015, and I came across a video on YouTube. I encourage folks to go and find it. It's uh, it's called Show and Tell by Dan Rome. It's a presentation that he gave at Google. It's about 45 minutes long, and by the end of this talk that he gave, this presentation, I was convinced. I thought, man, this is what I want to do. This is amazing. It looks like it looks, fun. Mm-hmm. it had the impact on me that I wanted to have on my audiences. Like I, I was fired up. So I had a, a brand new talk that I needed to create for the Orlando code camp. And the talk was on uh, Kanban, which is visualizing work. Okay. Um, yeah. And I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense. If I'm giving a presentation on how to visualize work. I should have some visuals as part of my presentation. So those <laughs> first drawings that I made, I had a, a cheap iPad and a $5 stylus, and I was just mm-hmm. drawing. Instead of having bullet points on a slide, I drew my slides.
0: Excellent. And I, I love it. And I Kanban, <laughs> we all have to do it right, but it's not the most exciting thing in the world, so that you're yeah. bringing some life to it.
1: Yeah, I created these crude drawings of stick figures. I didn't have a whole lot of skill to work with (laughs) when I Mm. started, but that didn't matter. As soon as I gave this presentation, people were like, I'd never seen an audience that was just mesmerized by my presentation. So engaged, Mm. nobody was looking around. Everybody had their eyes on the screen or on me and it was just amazing. And I even got—we've all been there,
0: right? With the death by PowerPoint and multiple bullets, tiny fonts, tables that you (laughs) cannot read in the audience. This is refreshing, right?
1: Yeah, and I even got to inject some of my own humor into my presentation (laughs) because I'm not going to find clip art or anything on the internet that that represents this. As a user, I want to run with scissors. I was talking about how folks would write their features, whatever, onto index cards and everything. So that first presentation where I gave a talk with some some hand-drawn illustrations and they, again, they were so crude. They were not well-drawn for sure, but that didn't matter. The mm-hmm. audience just was engaged, was amazing. And another thing that happened that was blew my mind okay. is I had no trouble at all Telling my story or giving my presentation the way that I wanted to. When you're in school and you take notes, you Mm. might write down Mm -hmm. a, a word or a phrase. And when you go back and read those notes, however much later to study for a test, you realize just by looking at that one word or that one phrase, you can remember a lot more information than what you wrote on the page. That makes a ton and, of sense,
0: David, because I think people sometimes rely on the bullet points behind them as a crutch yeah. they and they default into reading. So they're putting the information up there as a prompt for them, but yeah, you as the audience can read much quicker than they can say it. So having your visualizations and your images and your drawings there is breathtaking and yeah. so different.
1: And what I found was as I started to understand what was happening is as i would draw a slide or an illustration for a slide i would be thinking about all the things that i wanted to say and when that illustration came up on the screen i had no trouble at all coming up with the story that went along with that illustration to talk about the things that i wanted to talk about it was the same kind of physical act of drawing or writing that helped me to remember the things that I wanted to talk about.
0: So they were like the way we make memomics and things that we use to remember things ourselves. So your illustrations, your pictures, your images were that for you.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, that that first talk that I gave, I saw a person running across the parking lot. And at first I was like, that's strange. That's something you don't see. And then I realized (laughs) they were running at me. And I'm like, oh, what's (laughs) going on here? They came up to me and said, "I want you to know that your presentation today was the best that I, talk that I went to," and started asking me all kinds of questions. Was just talking about the subject, talking about my illustrations, just gushing over over that. And I was I was almost moved to tears because I'd never gotten that kind of feedback from anyone before. Okay. And I didn't magically become a better speaker overnight, it was the visuals were the game changer. It did help me to be a better speaker because I was more casual. I was more more myself because I was telling my story the way that I wanted to. And the visuals are what empowered me to do these things much, much better.
0: And so was that the aha moment for you then, David, that you were on the right journey here. Now, this act of visual storytelling was the way forward for you and the way to get that sort of impact and feedback from an audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I knew within the first 30 seconds of Hmm. giving my presentation that this was a game changer and this was something that I was going to latch on to and continue doing.
0: It's nice to have that moment, right, that you've been building up towards and then it all of a sudden clicks. But you mentioned some dates earlier. How long was it from your start of your visual storytelling sketching journey to this aha moment? Was that a couple of years?
1: I fell in love with it immediately. And I knew that whatever presentation I was going to do from that point forward, starting in 2015, I was going to draw slides for it. Now, the Kanban talk that I gave was mostly visuals, and I had more technical talks to give on subjects of .NET or JavaScript frameworks or whatever. And so it became like a more of a challenge to figure out how can I incorporate some fun visuals into this technical stuff that I need to talk about. And But I knew the more I could include these engaging visuals into my talks, the more my audience was going to continue to pay attention and to be surprised by what was going to come up next. It's like it became, I could recognize that the audience was just waiting to see, oh wow, that's cool. What's coming now? What's coming next?
0: And you talk about complex ideas, data, and showing that they are very hard to describe and sometimes we're used to seeing the usual flow diagrams block diagrams etc for us in MongoDB we talk about indexing and data sharding and queryable encryption these are concepts that are you need to visualize it's very hard to get those across in any other way and I Exactly. I'd love to see your approach to those three topics but maybe at another session.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even representing those things if you, if it's if it's a hand-drawn illustration it's going to it's going to pique someone's interest differently than just mm-hmm. a a graphic or your typical workflow diagram or something like that which can be sterile, uninspiring. Or boring. Some of those visuals can be just boring to look at. They're just blocks with arrows. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. You I know. Think your hands-on you,
0: visuals are, it's your character. Yeah.
1: Handmade content. Yeah. Yeah. it's Your personality hmm. comes out in whatever drawings you create, no matter how good or bad they are. And I want to emphasize throughout our presentation <laughs> is that there's no such thing as bad art. And... I want to encourage people that I started it very humbly with (laughs) some awful illustrations and that's okay. Whatever you create is still going to be so much more interesting to your audience, whether it's your viewers or readers or an audience at at an event, they are going to be so much more interested in seeing the uniqueness of your illustrations I and, think that's um,
0: an interesting topic because look, we're all used to stealing things from the web to drop into our presentations or going yeah. to stock photo websites and getting those. I think everybody has an idea that they're no good at drawing. It's the same as I'm I'm no good at singing. I can't play any yeah. instruments. It's, it seems to be too much of a hurdle that it's a craft. I need to be good at this for a number of years before I'm going to expose myself to the world. But You're saying the opposite then, David. You're saying anything that you bring that has your personality, your stamp on it, is going to have more impact, as you say, than something that you've just grabbed off the internet.
1: Yeah. You know, that's the common thing that I hear a lot is, I don't know how to draw. I can't draw. And this is the case that Dan Rome makes in his presentation, Show and Tell. And there's a book associated with it, too, called Show and Tell. How to make, how to have extraordinary presentations. And he says, and I agree, Hmm. that if you can draw shapes, lines, arrows, blobs, letters, numbers, you can draw just about anything that you need to be able to draw. You can start with stick figures, they are so expressive, they are so entertaining. People, no matter how poorly drawn, Mm. Stick figures are, they are super <laughs> fun to, to use, mm. and there's different ways to draw stick figures. There's different approaches to that. If you can draw basic shapes, you can create something that you may not realize you can make, a city landscape that that represents something. Or maybe you can draw something you didn't think you could, like a bicycle. Is this the most realistic bicycle you've ever seen? No. But you recognize what it is. Instantly, totally. These are circles, triangles, and some lines. And the point I want to really make is that it doesn't have to be art. It's anything you create is super engaging and your Mm -hmm. audience will love it. And it's it's just an icon. It's iconic. If you can make it where you recognize what it is, Mm -hmm. that's as good as it needs to be. You don't have to pour hours into trying to make some kind of painting that's not the, <laughs> that's not the point and is and it I the joke. case
0: then David that abstracting it down to in your case your hand drawings even forces you to refine the message better as you say they help you in you never get stuck in the presentation because you've got this memory of when and how you created that do they also help you create that message create that story
1: Oh, absolutely. It gives me a lot of freedom to express things the way that I want. See, in the past, I would be like, this is the topic or this is the things that I want to say. Either I go the route of just having bullet points on the screen or I write a post. Mm. that I want to emphasize that this is more than just presentations. Either go that route or I go find some kind of clip art. Mm -hmm. And if I go the route of finding a clip art or an image on the internet, then my story is compromised because Mm -hmm. I now have Mm -hmm. to, I find the best thing that I can find, but now my story is compromised because I have to like use the visual that I have found to talk about that thing.
0: You probably waste a ton of time trying to find a suitable piece of flip art or stock art as well, too. Probably much more than it would take you to try to sketch your concept or your idea.
1: I, I am much more efficient now that I can create whatever content I'm creating. And at the same time, I'm not wasting any time. I'm thinking about how to refine my, like you said, refine a message or refine your story as I'm sketching the illustration that I want to make.
0: And how much of your process David is is the sketch already formed in your head before it hits the tablet or the paper or the whiteboard or are you refining it as and when you're doing it?
1: I don't know. I, it, there's different approaches to the creative process. I may think in my mind like what is a what is something very simple that represents something that I want to say about this. And it mm-hmm. may be a, an object, it may be um, an animal or a scene or some some kind of scenario, how, and if it's a, if it's a scene or a scenario, it's like, how mm-hmm. could I, what is the simplest thing I could do that would represent that scene that I could draw with using simple shapes? Okay. Another thing that I do is that I am very purposeful in most of the time, the drawings that I create are black and white, and so I want them to be high contrast, no ambiguity or less is more. Uh, when I use color, it's very rare, and it's to it, it becomes like a a, a highlight or something okay, for like, emphasis. like a, yeah. for emphasis, like a key takeaway. Like, oh, well, the color is important. It's a more it's an added visual. Yeah, so there's certainly different approaches to thinking about how you could represent something that you want to talk about. And if it's an object or something, mm-hmm. I'll go and look at images on the internet to see if I could find something that's close that mm-hmm. I could use as a reference so that I can look at that and go, okay, I'm going to sketch it. Okay. Or there's nothing wrong with tracing. I, I've done so much tracing where I, because I use a digital format, I use a mm-hmm an iPad, I can import a photo into my drawing app and trace over the top of it. And that's my starting point. That way I've got, I can do, I can get going.
0: uh, Would that be a suitable way for people who want to get started doing this? That's a nice little bit of a head start tracing over something
1: that pre-exists. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I would, early on, I'd feel guilty about that. I know real artists don't, trace but there's the really there's no shame in it at all it's like I, I do it all the time and the point is it's still in the end it's still something that's my art or my my creativity that that takes shape well how,
0: how does the saying go all great artists steal or something like that, that I, as well yeah exactly so you're only following in those grand footsteps
1: <laughs> one of the things i want to emphasize is that I've said this a little alluded to this before is that I've I started my journey in illustrations with public speaking but that's not the only way you can use visuals there's there's lots of things that you can do that you could add some of your hand-drawn things to and lots of different types of content and I've enjoyed figuring out creative ways to add those visual elements into other areas mm. of communication. my One of my favorites is social media. I've had so much fun because I I can't create a new presentation every week. I need some kind of excuse to draw because I fell in love with it. I used social media as my learn in the open. I would create these terrible illustrations and post them on Twitter or Instagram and people would comment on them and it was encouragement to me. People love
0: to comment on the internet. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah. You're,
1: yeah. You're open
0: yourself <laughs> right up there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mostly good, okay. but, but I use social media to, for me to be kind of like an accountability partner as an incentive to continue hmm. creating and improve my drawing skills. I know there's been some people referenced my, Illustrated guide to OAuth that I created when I was at Okta. That's be- become one of the most popular videos and blog posts on the subject because the visualizations that are in there help to help folks to understand a very difficult subject. There's terminology and there's things that are unique to OAuth that that's difficult to grasp. And so the visuals that's in this content that I created really resonated with a lot of folks. I still have people coming up to me Mm. at events today who say, Hey, you're the person who did that video. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for doing that.
0: I think simplifying difficult concepts or theories and simplifying them down to their bare bones is so powerful and impactful. And as you said, we are a visual being. You know, everything we see and we do and get involved in, it's across the board. And I think if you can take something that's really complex, and this is the world that we occupy a lot of the time in Devra, sometimes there are complex problems that we're trying to do. And as I said earlier, sometimes you can rely on too much texts and bullet points as a crutch. And I think if you can do as you do, yeah. take it down to what actually matters, what is the simplest way to get this message across is incredibly powerful
1: yeah so one of my favorite quotes arthur doler is a speaker from the kansas city area and he's spoken at a lot of tech conferences all over he's, mm-hmm. he's a friend of mine and he's got an excellent talk on how our brains learn different ways and one one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is our brains love to be surprised. And (laughs) that's that's it. That's exactly what these illustrations are Mm. doing. It's like every illustration that you create is unique. And when people see it, it's it's like brain candy. Your brain is, Oh, wow. I've never seen that before. And that's what makes it just all the more engaging.
0: Yeah, you, you honestly never hear somebody come out of a presentation going, I think the third bullet down from the paragraph was really <laughs> super insightful. But they will talk about something visual that they've seen. Yeah. I love that. To be surprised. We love to be surprised. And I know you'll get into some of the tools as well, too. But you're very open in sharing all of this up on your website as well, David.
1: Yeah. And I'm reverent geek everywhere on social media. My website is reverentgeek.com. If there's different, there's lots of different ways you can get in contact with me. It is my honor and privilege to answer any questions that that folks may have. I would love to, to encourage you and to help you in any way that I can.
0: Yeah, no, that's superb. And definitely check out David's site because there's a lot more up there. You have books and other things up there as well, too, which we probably don't have time to get into now, but check out your website, definitely.
1: Yeah. So just quickly I don't I don't know how much time we have left, but I wanna share with with folks maybe some things about getting started in doing all this. Hopefully I've convinced you by this point that you should you should give this a try. But I wanna share that learning any new skill, whether it's drawing or a language or a musical instrument or a new programming language or new a new database like MongoDB. There's some ingredients, I believe, that are common on learning any new skill. One is a determination that I am going to do this. I want to, however painful it may be, I recognize that there's benefit on the other side of learning this new skill. And I want to be determined to work through it. Number two is... Having some deliberate practice. It takes time, and no one is great at any new skill when they first do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there might be a little bit of natural talent in a few things, but really what makes the difference is continued practice. The more you do, the better you get. If you're a programmer, you know this because you're using a language or a platform or whatever and you look back at code you've written 6 months ago or even 3 weeks ago who knows it's best you, not to look back at old it, code david yeah, it's you best best not to look back but when if you have to fix a bug or something you go what was i thinking oh, i wouldn't totally. do i wouldn't do that today <laughs> and that's that goes the same with learning any new skill you've got to give yourself time to practice and over time you will recognize oh These are the things I should have done three months ago. And third is a whole lot of patience because we've got to give ourselves grace. We're not going to be good at something right away. We've got to have patience to allow those skills to develop.
0: I think that's, yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get put off at the beginning. It's like that, that, curve of the adoption and the valley of kind of disenchantment
1: and then back up again. Patience is key. One of the ways that you can get started is just traditional pen and paper sketching things. And a lot of apps are available for your phone or whatever to scan in a document. You can use that to scan in a sketch or an illustration that you've created and plug that into your presentation or your documentation or or anything like that. Similarly, you can use a, you can buy lap boards that are mm. like dry erase boards that are smaller, about the size of your computer that you can draw on with a dry erase marker and you can get different colors if you want to. And that way, if you make mistakes, you can just wipe it and, yeah. and keep going. And then again, use some type of scanner app to to scan that in so you can use it however so
0: you, you've before. no excuses that's a pretty low cost low tech way to get started right
1: yeah you can go down to office depot or office max or staples or whatever your mm-hmm. your store of office supply store of choice and uh, yeah not much investment <laughs> to give that a try i love it what i recommend that if you want to do digital Illustrations is one of the later iPads. The newer Apple iPads support the Apple Pencil, which is fantastic for drawing, and there's an app called Sketches Pro. I think it costs something like $6. Okay. So the typical Apple ecosystem, the hardware is expensive but the apps are really cheap, and you can find even refurb iPads but this is this is the route that i've gone i I use sketches pro for a long time it's a it's an easier more simple app to learn and i was just talking to someone last week in kansas city that he he took my advice he got sketches pro and he's been loving it so it's good to hear the feedback excellent
0: most people maybe not the apple pencil but Possibly most people have a tablet of some sort arriving around and, yeah. and can get started then too.
1: And and these are just my personal recommendations. I use iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil, and I use an app called Procreate to do all my illustrations. But there's a guy that I follow on YouTube. Okay. Uh, his name's Brad Calbo, and he does reviews on tech or hardware for creative professionals. Okay. He he does like reviews on Android, Windows, Apple products and the different apps that are available for those things. So on Windows, I know you can use something like Sketch Sketchbook or Adobe has a free product that's really good. Concepts is another one that I've used for doing sketch notes for events because it has a an infinite size canvas uh, that you can work with, I see. It's really okay, so those apps are available on other platforms besides iPad. You can get that on Windows or Android. so there's lots and lots of options available. and there are tons of videos on YouTube where you can figure out how to become a better. Illustrator, if you Mm -hmm. want to, there's courses that you can get on 21 draw. There's all kinds of stuff. So, there's plenty of resources available without spending (laughs) a whole (laughs) lot of money that you can learn to, to do illustrations. So that's pretty much my story. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been encouraging folks now for several years. And I love what it empowers me to do, this has given me such a incredible opportunity to have more of an impact on on people through whatever kind of types of content that I create.
0: It's been excellent. Thank you for taking us through that journey. For me, obviously, the visual impact of what you're creating is important and the style and your personality, as we spoke, that comes out. At what point does the humor come into it? David, we can draw something, but you've got a quirky way about your illustrations. What weighting would you give towards the humor element as well too for something that's memorable?
1: Yeah, I. that's my personality is that I do not want to sit through a boring presentation or read a boring blog post (laughs) tutorial. I want things that I create to be fun. So Mm. as I am thinking through the the goal of whatever i'm communicating i it's always top of mind for me to think how could i make this more fun for the how can i have more empathy for the person who is going to consume this content and give them a make it as enjoyable as possible because i've spent so much time thinking about that i think my delivery of like humor and making it fun and engaging has improved it's another skill that i've had to learn i remember when i first started speaking i want to i want to be fun i want to be i want to be humorous i saw other speakers seem to pull it off hey that person could be a comedian or i love going to that person's talks because i i I laugh at so many things that person says i want to be that way and so my initial approach was like to read some books on stand-up comics or you know how to be funny I don't think any of those helped really (laughs) (laughs) it just helped it just pointed out that I'm not funny
0: I don't know where they you would start in creating a book and about how to be funny I understand the references you made earlier to the the other books and things that you've come across but How to be funny is, yeah, that's a difficult challenge.
1: I I remember hearing stories of how maybe speakers at Microsoft went through some coaching to try to help them to incorporate jokes or humor into their presentation. Mm. It's like, that just sounds terrible.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you can spot that a mile away. You can nearly see it coming. I I remember I used to work in the e-learning industry a long time ago, and I remember we talk about comedians and comedy. John Cleese from Monty Python used to have Mm -hmm. a company that did uh, e-learning videos, like uh, essentially for companies about what not to do. So they're talking about safety and hazards and things like that, but in the wrong way, given their background from Monty Python. And I Mm -hmm. remember being at one particular event, David, and he, John Cleese, was doing the keynote, but I heard his voice the day before And I went in and snuck in the back and he's rehearsing the keynote. But he rehearsed it as if his life depended upon it and as if he hadn't had 20, 30 years of Monty Python and faulty Mm -hmm. Towers. All of the jokes, all of the calamities that were happening through his presentation. So at one point the lights go or the projector goes, fully rehearsed. Even the most seasoned comedians practice. It goes back to your slide about
1: practice, right? Yeah. Practice and just being comfortable, like being hmm. there. There's a level of like confidence that the my own illustrations give me because I know I'm doing something that's different and that the audience is already their focus is I don't have to win them. My my illustrations have already won them. I it just makes me even more comfortable to to speak comfortably or to speak with my own personality. And so if I want to throw in some humor or things that I, you know, and again, like like rehearsal, Mm. think through those things. When I'm drawing and illustrating, oh, wouldn't it be fun to say this? Mm. or Wouldn't it be, it might be funny to, and some of my visuals are visual gags. Like I'll set them up (laughs) and say, like, there's a talk that I give on called public speaking without barfing on your shoes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I have a series of slides and one, the first slide is like the, a, a picture of the Grim Reaper. And I say, there's three ine- inevitable things in life. There's death, <laughs> taxes, and I'll show an illustration of a bag of money, death, taxes, taxes. And PowerPoint. And then a logo of PowerPoint pops up on the screen. And it never fails. P- people love, yeah. love that. And it's a visual gag. It's just as much as it is humor because of the delivery or the timing of showing those visuals.
0: And so that confidence that you have presenting now comes from your experience. Was it a month, two months, three months after you said, this is starting to gel with audiences, how I'm Getting these concepts across via illustrations It was that must have been a great relief moment for you as well too. Going, yeah. I'm doing this. It's working. I haven't gone down a cul-de-sac dead end with this.
1: Yeah. So, like around that time, I was giving some talks on Node.js and Electron and a few other technologies. And what I was doing was I was adding just little icons, little stick figures, different things on the slides. The slides still had like code Mm -hmm. or bullet points on them. I was just adding some visual entertainment to go along with those instead of using stock photos. And I would throw up a visual gag or something like that as a transition between topics. It wasn't until probably a year after sometime in 2016 Mm -hmm. that I felt like I had like, this was a turning point where I was given the opportunity to give a keynote. My first keynote was in 2016. Okay. And that was an opportunity for me to really dig into creating illustrations. And it was, the keynote was not technical. It was about, it was encouraging folks to get involved in the community, using their skills. It was just a long pep talk of, I I end every presentation with a slide that says, you don't need permission to be awesome. And that that resonates with a lot of people. I've gotten so much feedback from that over the years. And so my keynote, that first keynote was basically a 30-minute presentation on why you should be involved in the community and why you should do things that help you to be more awesome. And so the illustrations were like, I felt so good about creating that keynote because Mm -hmm. I was confident at that point in creating some slides and things that I knew the audience would love. I'm interested
0: to hear your take on everywhere you look, it's AI, AI. Mm -hmm. You see some amazing things created online now and people pulling together illustrations and movies even and storyboards. What's your yeah. take on all of that, David? What's your take on the direction that's going?
1: I think AI is as any other kind of thing that's available for us to, it's, it's another tool. I have no fear that AI is going to replace me and <laughs> the things that I do. Sure. But, and so I've been playing around with it some myself. It's like, it helps me if I, if I use an image generator and say, give me an illustration of a bear typing at a computer okay. and it'll generate several of those. I'm like, that one's interesting. I will take that and use it as a reference to okay. create my own drawing. Yeah. It's a better starting point for me to create my own illustration. And so in that way, I man, I think this is great. I'll be able to. I'll be able to go faster. I'll be able to mm-hmm. do more. And the same goes with programmings. Like you can get chat GPT to, to create some code, but unless you know how to code, what good is that? Because th- you've lost that creative touch of, oh, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. an interesting approach to solving that problem. But I recognize where it's not, yes. and I can take that as a starting point to create something that helps me to move forward faster. So that's what I'm most interested in with artificial intelligence is just, it's another tool that mm. we can use to, to do some cool things. I will say I was at a, an event, it says David Neal Code Cogsmith. Smith. They, they took the speaker profiles for the conference and they ran it through this AI illustration tool. And so that is really cool. That's a great use for AI image generation. Not all of them were very accurate or very mm. similar to the, the actual <laughs> to the people that they were assigned to, but it didn't matter. This was mm. just something fun and really got people talking,
0: yeah, I think you're right. I think in the context of it, we need to view it as a tool a very smart and clever and deep tool, but it's still just a tool it's it helps you get started right in what you're trying to do there. I know very much so with it comes to code. Yeah, it can write code for you, but you need to know whether that's good code or not, to be yeah. perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. So I think this was fabulous, David. Thank you so much for your time and joining us and getting across this story. I think for me, going, as I said at the intro, going to presentations where you're you're in the middle of the row, you're stuck, you're going, oh my God, I'm stuck here. How do I get out of this death by PowerPoint? <laughs> I haven't been to one of your presentations in person. I've seen a lot of the work that you do online, but I very much look forward to that opportunity. And you're very good in sharing. So all of the things that you are doing and even the presentations that you have given are all up on your website, right?
1: Yeah, there's links to all my slides on Speaker Deck. The links can be found on my website, reverendgeek.com. And uh, yeah, there's lots of recordings of my presentations I stream every week but that's coding I don't usually occasionally I'll do some drawing as part of the stream so there's ways to find me I think
0: this has been superb I love the journey I love kind of the concept behind just get started practice away have a lot of patience and bring a bit of life and a bit of humor into what you're doing. And uh, thank you so much, David, for joining. Hopefully people jump over to your website and follow you on Twitter. That would be awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. David, from all of us on the MongoDB podcast and that MongoDB in general, thank you so much for sharing your experiences
1: with us. Thank you for having me.
0: Many thanks to David for joining me and I'm fascinated by his journey and the simple but powerful impact that bringing his personality and illustrations had on his developer and community presence. For the links we mentioned during the show, do check out the show notes, but definitely visit reverentgeek.com to learn more about David and to see his work. As ever, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and also leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and we really do appreciate it. And so for me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, do take care and thanks for listening.